Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. And belief is what drives people's decisions. And then I started to unpack belief and I realized, wow, this has to do with people's desires. So their desires drives their beliefs and their beliefs drive their actions, period. It's as simple as that and it's as complex as that because people are unaware of this. You know, we're, we're walking through life not thinking about everything that we do. It's impossible. So we're being pushed and pulled by our environment and we're just trying to make it through the day, have a decent day, have nothing go wrong. And at the end of the day, flip on Netflix and, and that's what's going on in the marketplace. So when you, when you get somebody to adopt what you do, all they're doing is switching one belief for another belief and then going back on you know, autopilot. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Tom, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. It is great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, so it's really cool to have you. I came across your book, uh, as I had mentioned to you before we hit record here, by way of a really sort of ridiculous and out there reading project that I am working on right now, which is to read every book ever recommended, written by or about a billionaire. And somehow, you know, in all that searching and all that research, your book ended up on my radar. So I ordered it right away and I devoured it in like two sittings. Um, but before we get into uh, all of that, I want to start by asking you what social group were you a part of in high school and how has that impacted? impacted the choices you've made with your life and your career? <laughs> I've never been asked that question, and I've, <laughs> I've been on a lot of podcasts. Um, I have an interesting answer for you, as a matter of fact. I was not part of a particular social group. I hung around with the jocks. I played football. Uh, I hung around with the geeks. I was uh, on the chess team. I hung around with the druggies. <laughs> I, I hung I hung around with everybody, and I connected with all of those people. And I guess you can say that that's informed my career because I'm interested in in everybody. And I'm I, I was like a chameleon back back there in high school. I, you know, nobody looked at me and say, "Oh, he's he's one of those." I I was one of everything. So that's that's what I was in high school. What did you learn about human behavior from each one of those groups? That it's really similar, that, that people are driven by their desire to feel good about themselves in the presence of other people and that they, they move around 
based on that desire. If they don't feel good about themselves in one place, they'll go someplace else until they do find people that they that help them feel good about themselves. So that's what I learned about that is that we're all driven essentially from the inside out and we're all on the inside the same. Hmm. You know, it, it's interesting because um, I, I've thought about sort of, you know, my own work and how much time over the last probably 10 to 12 years I've spent doing a significant amount of inner work um, that seems like it's just an essential foundation for external results and outer work to actually happen. Uh, and I, I'm curious, you know, why you think that is the case and why that sort of inner work isn't something that is integrated into our earlier lives. Hmm. That's interesting because I, I, I think that assumption that you're making makes you feel good about yourself. That's why you made, <laughs> I, I would say that many people that succeed in the external world mm-hmm. really do very little inner work. And I think that that's why when they get to a certain point where they have everything, uh, houses, boats, vacation homes, various relationships, they start feeling this lack in their life. that They're missing something. Mm-hmm. I think that if you start when you're young by doing this inner work, then no matter what comes to you through the external world, you'll be fulfilled as you get there. Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't connect those two things, but I would connect it with a feeling of fulfillment and, and an ability to kind of roll with what the marketplace and the world gives you. Uh-huh. you know, it's interesting. Um, I, part of me, you know, after hearing you sort of echo your, you know, your sentiments, I, I think back to it and I'm kind of like, yeah, maybe when I was that young, I would have just written it off as a bunch of new age bullshit and wouldn't have really cared. Um, I don't think I was self-aware enough to think there would be any value in this well you weren't self-aware because people were pounding on you to focus on the other self the external self the the ego that the identity of make sure that you have money and respect and you know that people value you and the whole social game Mm -hmm. nobody ever started with you and said look there's two games there's this social game but there's this other thing over here called the universe you know your inner self your authentic self, and you have to figure out how do I put myself in this game, this social game, and still value my inner self and do what drives me without doing what I need to do to get the attention of the external world. Because listen, when we're born as babies, that we survive because we become masters at getting other people's attention and approval, period. Right. If we don't cry, if we don't coo, if we don't whatever, we're not going to eat. We're not going to get a blanket put on us. So we're driven from that point on to worry about the external world, what they're thinking and how they're feeling about us. Nobody ever says to you, hold on a minute. You know, we're not we're not living in the jungle. We don't have to survive that way anymore. We're living in a modern world and you have to look at what drives you. If you want to have a fulfilled life and focus on that and yes, understand how the external world works, but don't let that thing grab onto you and drag you along because you'll wake up someday and you'll say, holy, I never lived. Mm. So walk me through um sort of your trajectory in terms of how you've ended up doing the work that you've uh, done, you know, through your life and your career, like from high school to now. <laughs> 
Okay. What tra- trajectory? What does that mean? That doesn't mean straight up, because I can assure you, it was <laughs> never. It was never. Okay, I'll walk you through the wandering path. Uh, but that um, I appreciate even more because I was literally it, writing about that this morning, like the difference yeah, between so, a straight line and a fully lived life. Yeah, you'll find it pretty interesting. I mean, I uh, I was uh, leaving college during the worst recession. I mean, there were lines at the gas station. Interest rates were I don't know up around eighteen percent. Uh, everyone was just trying to get a job, and I was uh, I had an economics degree, and I was interviewing. And one of the one of the companies that I was hoping to get hired by was uh, you know Procter and Gamble. That was like a dream, and uh, I didn't get that. I didn't get hired. Anyway, I left school and I decided because I had an interest in it to become a professional magician. <laughs> so, so I spent uh, a couple of years doing that, and uh, I enjoyed it. But then, you know, it became okay. I've got to go out and have have a real life now. I didn't see myself being on a stage in Vegas or anything. And I I took a job with GE at, at one of their uh, at the time. They had purchased an electronics manufacturing firm, and um, I was run, I was working there in manufacturing, in planning. Probably about four years in, and then Jack Welsh came in and took over as CEO of GE, and he said, "Look, uh, we're going to be one or two in the market, or we're, or we're going to get out of these businesses." And our company was one of the businesses he wanted to get out of. So I participated with a bunch of managers, and we did a leverage buyout of the company from GE and I stayed there six more years and uh, I ended up having like a problem with everyone there because it felt like we were the living dead. There was, there was no one really driving the place. You know, it was driven by technology but not by a vision. The vision was just make money and I couldn't take it anymore. So I left, cashed in my investment and I joined a startup medical device company and um, once I got involved with it, um, at the start, it was a couple of guys, a dog, and an idea. And we uh, grew that thing. Uh, we had VCs all over the country coming to us, wanted to take us public. And God, it always seems to happen. I ran into a vision collision with my partners again uh, because it, of greed, frankly. It's funny. Partners do really well when there's no money. As soon as there's a lot of money, that's when problems start coming into play. So I left again, and uh, I went out, and I hung a shingle, and I was doing some strategic advisory work for some big, big brands. And I don't know. This was the strange little instance. Doing this work, I started to notice that a lot of executives, managers, they were talking a really good game but they didn't really understand the concepts behind their words. And I was sitting at the breakfast table and I was watching my daughter eat cereal. She was probably seven. And she was looking at a spoon, flipping it back and forth and her, raising her eyebrows. And she looked at me and, and, you know, and I said, Andrea, what are you doing with that spoon? And she said, Daddy, how come I, when I look at the spoon this way, I'm right side up. But if I turn it around, I'm upside down. And I looked at her and, I mean, almost immediately, the words convex and concave started to pour out of my mouth. And then I caught myself and I said, you have no idea why that image is flipping upside down and right side up. You're giving her words. You're just like these executives at all these companies. 
They know how to throw around big words, but they don't really know the essence of what they mean. So I don't know. I had some wild idea. I said, I'm going to write a book. It's called Sandbox Wisdom. It's going to be about a CEO who loses his way in work and in business and by a chance meeting with a little girl, rediscovers his creativity, his passion, and turns his business and his life around. And this was, this was way before, you know, self-publishing. And I said, I'm, I'm just going to go do this thing. And I did it, send it out to some publishers. They came back with some ridiculous, you know, make it shorter. It was only like a hundred and something pages. And I said, the hell with it. And I printed thousands of copies and I just put them in envelopes and started sending them to every CEO in the country. And something funny happened. All of a sudden, I started getting calls to come in and talk about these concepts to these organizations. And it just kept growing and growing and growing. So I started cutting back on my consulting work. And I did more education and speaking. And, and that was it. And that was probably... 15 years ago, 16 years ago, and since then I've written five, six additional books. Wow. So that was, that was the weird, serendipitous, crazy path. Okay, so many questions uh, about this. <laughs> the first off, you know, is when you make the transition from something like being a professional magician to applying for a job at GE, what in the world is the interview process for that like, and how do you explain that backstory? <laughs> like... In a job that probably seems to be completely irrelevant to the one that you were doing. Yeah, I don't even know if I told them. <laughs> I, was, I think I just walked in there and said, hey, look, these are my qualifications. This is, these are what my degrees are in. Um, and, and I probably interviewed well. And, and, and they said, okay. I mean, it was an entry-level position. They said, okay, we'll take a shot. We'll take a shot. You seem smart enough, uh, self-starter. And that was it. And then once I get into something... I'm going to dig as deep as I possibly dig into it. As a matter of fact, uh, the company was bleeding, hemorrhaging money. Inventory levels were skyrocketing, and I had to get at the essence of this. So this was way, way back before you know, ERP and, and, and just-in-time inventory and Agile and all that. And, and that's what we, you know, I led this team to bring all that to this manufacturing company which turned the whole place around so to me it's 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 pretty simple I, I i try to take the i'm not really good with the social game but what i really am good at is understanding how things work so i i try to get at the essence of why things work and why they don't and then try to apply that to whatever i put myself into uh, sometimes i run into the social game problems doing that because when you change things People have a, a real hard time with that because it, there's a potential that it's going to change something that they like about their work or their job. And, uh, you know, they will do something to try to prevent that. I've, I've learned that lesson. Sure. So you mentioned this uh, idea of a vision collision that you had with with multiple partners. And <clears throat> I guess the question for me is, how do you actually determine what a vision uh, looks like? I mean, is there a process for that? Like, how can you get a vision that is in alignment, find a vision that is in alignment with your own personal values, I guess is a real question. Yeah, well, listen, I never, <laughs> I never go into anything with money being my goal. So that when that turns into a goal, that's a vision collision to me. I go into something to change something, to matter, to make a difference, to provide meaning, 
to help people, whatever. If money flows out of that, great. That means that I did it right. If it doesn't, okay, I go on to something else. But the minute, the minute I see money turn into the goal, and part of the vision collision with my partners was, oh, no, no, we're not going to reinvest this money into this new product development. We're going to take money out. We're going to buy cars for each other. We're going to do, I said, okay, I'm gone. I can't deal with that. It doesn't even make any sense. You know, you're playing a game. You're trying to help people. You're trying to use that cash to, to, to create. And to me, that's what life is. It's, it's about creation, not accumulation. So why is it you think that we have um, such a strong emphasis on accumulation in our culture? Um, and just overall sort of, I mean, we live in a very consumer driven culture. So based on, on your internal narrative, I'm curious why that is. Well, because that's how we've set up the game. So we're born as, as these fear based creatures who don't think we're going to survive. So we, we really always think, you know, that we're not going to make it. We're going to die. We're going to live in a box. You know, we're, we're completely fear based. And what we want is we want to feel good emotionally. So what the marketplace does is they set you up with this belief. If you do these things, then you'll feel good emotionally. And so you do all these things and you get there and you go, ah, I don't feel so good. And then they flip it on you. Well, it's not those things. It's these things. They've changed. Now you have to have these things. And so all you have to do is just go talk to some of these Hollywood stars that have made millions of dollars, that have millions of fans, and say, did that make you happy now that you're there with the millions of dollars and all these fans? They say no. So we don't seem to figure out until late in life after we've gone through this process that that is not the route. That's not the path. You, as a matter of fact, you're, see, there's no there there because you're already where you need to be. You just need to tap into that, that creativity and that passion and what drives you and have the courage to do it without looking at it and saying, yeah, but I had somebody telling me, I really want to do this. I said, well, do it. And, and the answer was, I can't imagine what the business model is. And I said, well, then you're dead. I, I mean, you're dead from the inside. If you can't allow your inside and your passion to drive you, if everything has to be a business model, then it's over for you because everybody that's out there has some business model. And they're not all working. So something else has to drive people. And I think you need to be driven from your inside out, not from your outside in. What do you feel like doing? What's bothering you? What do you think you can fix? Now go do it. And I don't mean to sound like Elon Musk. I mean, I, I don't have the guts he has. But that's exactly what he's doing. That's exactly what Amazon is doing. The guy didn't say, I got a business model to sell books. He's doing whatever drives him to provide value for people. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. 
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. You know, it's funny you say that. There's a quote in uh, Peter D. and Stephen Cutler's book, Bold, where it was specifically from Jeff Bezos. He said, you know, missionaries in the long run do a lot better than mercenaries. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, that's very well put. Well, let's do this. Um, let's let's shift gears and let's talk, start talking about sort of the idea of the business of belief, like where this came from, what the seed was for it, because that's the book that actually ended up on my radar. So I'm really curious kind of what the seed was. And then I want to talk about the practical application of this in our lives and in our work. Okay. All right. Well, listen, I don't write books because I have an idea for something that I think is going to sell. Mm -hmm. I end up writing a book because something's bugging me. I can't figure something out. So I'll sit down and try to figure it out. And then sometimes it comes out in a book. Just like I said with, with my first book. It wasn't like, oh, I got an idea. I think I'll go write a book about a guy. No, it was bugging me that everybody was saying one thing and they were doing other things. 
So in with the, this case, with belief, I was out consulting, doing some consulting work with some really, I mean, well-known brands. But beyond that, these were like companies that people love to work for because that's the type of people they were. And I was trying to help these people grow their businesses so that they could continue to do even better work. And I remember I gave a presentation and to a strategic team and I was there for days and then I came back and visited a year later and I gave a keynote at one of their annual events and then I was sitting down after my talk with the CEO at a table up front and I was watching them present things that they were doing. And honestly, it was almost opposite of what I had taught them. And I could not understand that at all. And I looked at the CEO and I said, Listen, this isn't what I what I was paid to do. I, I, I taught you opposite this. And the answer I got was, listen, Tom, you gotta understand something. When you left here, everyone had to go back to their jobs. And I got this look like, don't ask me any more questions. So I didn't. But I flew home and I sat at my desk and I just I couldn't understand what that meant. What does that mean? They had to go back. They understood, but they had to go back to their jobs. So I said, okay, this is interesting. If knowledge isn't what gets people to change, so information doesn't get people to change, what is it? There must be a concept. And I started digging into this philosophically, you know, psychologically. I, I read every sociological, anything I could put my hands on to try to figure this out. And what I figured out was that there's this thing called belief. And belief is what drives people's decisions. And then I started to unpack belief. And I realized, wow, this has to do with people's desires. So their desires drives their beliefs and their beliefs drive their actions, period. It's as simple as that and it's as complex as that because people are unaware of this. You know, we're walking through life not thinking about everything that we do. It's impossible. So we're being pushed and pulled by our environment, and we're just trying to make it through the day, have a decent day, have nothing go wrong, and at the end of the day, flip on Netflix. And, and that's what's going on in the marketplace. So when you, when you get somebody to adopt what you do, all they're doing is switching one belief for another belief, and then going back on, you know, autopilot. So I said, okay, I'll write, I'll write a book about this so I can help people. <laughs> now, this is, this is the paradox. That's, this is how people typically operate. But I'm not saying that you should. I'm saying, if anything, you should not have any beliefs. You should question everything if you could in your life. Don't grab on to anything because as soon as you do, that kills curiosity. That stops learning. Belief is the end of thinking. As soon as I believe in something, I don't have to think about it anymore. So I would tell you, don't do this. But I need you to understand this is what most people do. <clears throat> wow. Okay. That raises many, many more questions. Um, I think you opened up a, base, a rabbit hole here for me. Uh -oh. um, <clears throat> the first one is, is about awareness. Um, you know, you said most people are not aware 
uh, of these things. So I'm curious, you know, what in your life have been things that have enabled you to cultivate awareness about beliefs, about desire, um, you know, in your own experiences? Well, listen, my history um, from childhood till today, I have seen people with all kinds of different beliefs looking to try to make their lives better. And I haven't seen a particular one, like the belief, Mm -hmm. or here here it is, here's the one, grab onto this. So because of that, I realized this is all subjective. These things that people are grabbing onto, they're grabbing onto to make themselves feel good. And if that doesn't make them feel good, they switch to something else. So I realized that there, there is no one objective product, service, group, whatever you want to call it, that people should adopt. And if there, if there were, that would be, then there wouldn't be an alternative. The, uh, the whole human species would say, yep, this is the one. But it doesn't work like that. So if that's true, then all of these things are nothing but conditional assumptions. And, and it's nothing that you should grab onto. If something looks different, makes more sense to you, you should examine it. You shouldn't dismiss it because you have a belief. But see, that's what people do. As soon as something that they believe in is attacked, they're not, you're not attacking their belief. You're attacking their identity. And as soon as you do that, they get this thing called cognitive dissonance. They cannot hold that other thought that you just gave them in their mind. And so they dismiss it. And you can take this and apply it to organizations that hear about something that's happening in the marketplace, but they don't want it's against their identity. So they dismiss it. And before you know it, they get taken out by somebody else that's innovating. So this, this whole idea of, of a belief, it, this story that you create, that this is the way the world is or should be or where it's going, that's the thing that gets you disrupted, either as an individual or as an organization. Wow. Um, so one of the things that, you know, the subtitle of the book um, was how the world's best marketers, designers, and salespeople, coaches, fundraisers, educators, and entrepreneurs, and other people get us to believe Mm. Um, which to me sounds, you know, when I, when I thought about it, I was like, okay, this is about persuasion, but I realized it was about so much more. Um, I am curious kind of, you know, like how do they get us to believe and, and, you know, what, what is the take? Like, how do we get other people to believe in us? I guess is really the question. Yeah. So the first thing to understand about human beings is that they're not rational thinking machines that are consciously out in the marketplace or in the world trying to figure things out. That's not, we're, we're more like uh, any, any other creature in nature. We're being pushed and pulled by our perceptions. You know, we see something and if that, and if that somehow draws us in, either, either it's something unexpected or it, it's something that, that we look like we might want, then we'll start it, we'll investigate it. But if we don't, if nothing grabs us like that, we are much, much too busy to be stopping and examining things. So people who are great at this, they understand that. And the first thing they do is they grab us. They emotionally grab us because we are driven by our feelings first. 
Our thinkings come along afterwards. Once we examine something and we say, God, I think I might like that. I, that might improve my life. That might be better than what I've got. Once we do that, once that feeling of wanting is created, then the thinking mind comes along to eliminate any risk and to validate that feeling. And that's why, that's why you give people all the evidence Right. So then, and that's a, this is where people have it backwards. They think evidence persuades people, moves people. It does not. Feelings and desires move people. Evidence does nothing but support that feeling and desire. Evidence gives you permission to go do that. So everyone that leads with evidence, they, they just don't know what they're doing. And it's, and it's unfortunate because there are a lot of great companies with a lot of great products and they're just not getting the attention and they're not stopping people because they don't understand how people create these impressions in their minds. They think, I'll load them up with data like I do a computer. They'll run it through some kind of rational program and they'll see that we're better than the other guys and then they'll choose us. doesn't work like that. So can you um, give us some examples uh, from your own work where you've kind of applied this and seen sort of outcomes in people's lives and in their work based on this? <laughs> I'll give you a perfect example. When I was running my medical company, and, 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 and then let me, let me preface it by saying I teach this to organizations, all right? But let me give you a potent example of what happened to me and how I learned this. When I was running my medical company, I had a ventilator, state-of-the-art, which kind of worked opposite of everyone else's, which people tell me was impossible, even though I had people using it and they were benefiting from it. So I ended up through a sales force. I, I was uh, hooked up with this big distributor. They had a sales guy create a meeting at one of the leading teaching institutions on the disorder that we treated in the world. I said, wow. And they said, yep, come on out, give a presentation. There'll be 14 physicians there. Let me tell you, all I had to do is get those 14 physicians or that one leading physician who published everywhere in that room to look at this product and adopt it, and, and it would have taken off. I fly out there. I'm waiting in this room. It's noon. All of a sudden, 12, 14 doctors walk in wearing scrubs, stethoscopes. There are sandwiches on the table for them. They sit down. They start eating. One guy looks up to me, and I could sense, let's get this thing going. We got to get back to our rounds. So I take all of the data I have, and I'm putting it up on an overhead projector to show you how long ago this was. And I'm showing the data. And it was patient data. We did studies you know, at a leading institution, all of this data. And I got done, and I looked around, and I said, oh, that, was, that went well. I mean, you know, there were no questions about the data. And then this leading researcher looks up from his sandwich at me, and he said, Mr. Asacker, are you the president of the company who developed this product? Now, that was like one of these rhetorical questions you don't want to hear because he knew I was. And I said, yes, doctor. 
And he said, and you came to my teaching institution with such shoddy clinical data? <laughs> okay, I look, the sales guy, he's, he's trying to like climb under a table, right? This is how he's feeling. I don't know what in the world he means. And then it hit me. This was like just maybe because I was freaking out. I don't know. But it hit me. What he meant was not that my data wasn't good, but it wasn't a lot of data. And man, if you want to make an impression with a leading institution, you better come in there with 10,000 patients, not with 100 or whatever we did. And that's what prevents a lot of small medical companies from making it in the marketplace is they can't afford to study 10,000 patients. But they had the more is better data mentality, information data mentality. So I had no way of fighting this guy. So I looked at him and I said, I said, doctor, do me a favor. He said, sure, what is it? I said, turn to patient 10. So he turned his papers to patient 10. Everybody else followed along. They went to patient 10. And there's a bunch of squiggly lines, okay? Medical, you know, polysomnography, different kind of heart rate. Just it looks like squiggly lines to, to, the, to the novice. And I used that word. I didn't do it on purpose. This was all spilling out of me. I said, do you see those squiggly lines? I said, those squiggly lines are Bob Jones. Because you're supposed to maintain patient confidentiality. I didn't even care at that point. I said, Bob lives in a little house, a little white house, picket fence, two adorable little girls, a wife who loves him. I said, Bob, no product on the market could help Bob. My product saved Bob's life. I said, so the minute you care more about numbers and data than you do about people's lives, that's the minute you should get out of medicine. And then I looked at all the other doctors and I said, every one of you should get out of medicine. And I picked up my product and I turned around and trust me, my knees buckled. I could feel sweat pouring down my back because I figured, okay, I'm out of a job. I got to shut down the company. You know, the sales guy's under the table. I've got to grab him by the hand and walk him out the door. Okay, fast forward. Every teaching institution I went to, every hospital I visited, they said, are you the guy that told the doctor that if the minute he cares more about numbers than people's lives, that he should get out of medicine? I turned into a rock star. Beyond that, that doctor, who was affiliated with no manufacturing companies, agreed to sit on my board of advisors. So trust me. It's not data and information that drives people. It's their feelings. It's their desires. His inherent desire was to help people. And I turned that back on in him by telling him, I don't care what you think. I'm here to help people. So I've learned this lesson. It's taken me a long time to learn it. And I'm trying to help other people understand it and learn it and apply it, especially if they have something that can benefit people. Wow. Um, this has just been incredibly thought-provoking, uh, as I kind of expected it would be. So I have two final questions. <laughs> okay. Uh, first, you know, 
obviously as an author, I'm guessing you yourself must be a voracious reader. So I am curious if you could recommend one book to our audience, what would it be? Um, other than your own, uh, I can't recommend you, which yeah. we will definitely link up. Um, <laughs> I would recommend my new one, but, uh, <laughs> what, what one book? See, here's, here's the crazy thing. If I knew that there was a book that had the answers in it, I would say, okay, this is the book. So when you ask me what one book, mm-hmm. what one book to get what results mm-hmm. or what, what one book for what reason? Yeah. I, I see, that's, see that's, you see what I mean? I mean, if, I if it was a question of what one book had a profound impact on your life, um, would even, that, that still doesn't exactly help. <laughs> no, exactly. Like, uh, okay. I would say read Krishnamurti's think on these things. Mm. It'll open your mind because that's what you need to do. You need to be woken up because this is a big illusion. This, this, this world that we're walking through that everybody takes so seriously because we don't, you know, another book is The Denial of Death by Becker. You know, because that's what we, we don't think we're going to die. It's like nobody talks about Steve Jobs anymore. How come? You see? And he knew it. He said, remembering that you're going to die is the best way to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You don't have anything to lose because we're not going to be here forever. Do what turns you on. Follow your heart. But what's happening is data, because of information technology, we're being beat to death by data. Everybody wants proof. We want proof of the future. I've seen people get their ideas shot down because they couldn't prove what the future was going to give. That's the craziest thing in the world. We have to get back to what made all of these great brands great which was somebody with some burning passion to do something to improve people's lives and get away from this notion of running our organizations by data. Use the data, but only once you're driven by your heart. Then bring the data in. So I have one last question for you, which is how we finish all our interviews at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? What makes them unmistakable? Oh, you've been in the presence of unmistakable people. You can see the passion that lights up in their eyes for what they're doing. You know, they have this boldness about them, but they also have this gentleness because they understand the game. They're not stepping on people. They get it. But they're not letting anyone step on their vision either. I think that's what makes these people unmistakable. Hmm. Well, I think that makes a very fitting way to wrap up our conversation. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Next time on The Unmistakable Creative. I don't think projects fail. I don't think people don't build a business uh, or don't make art because they um, you know, should have put in 100 hours this week and only put in 30. Mm-hmm. I don't think that happens. I think people put things on the shelf. Uh, or they say, oh, I'll get around to it. And it's like, get around to it right now. <laughs> you know, go put 10 minutes in. Um, I think the eventual target you want to hit is at least uh, two hours in the morning of, of like most important maker, important work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another two hours in the afternoon. That's only four hours. Any, everybody I know that does four hours on like whatever's most important every single day is very successful. Sebastian Marshall joins us to talk about building systems that increase productivity and creativity. 
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. 
Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.